Let's do that hockey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 113 of the DPR show. Thanks for coming back. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining. Uh, Today, this episode is going to be focused on the Detroit Red Wings, the winged wheel, and the prospects they've got uh, in the roster and coming down the pipe. Uh, As you may know, I've been doing a series of top prospect ranking articles for uh, NHL trade rumors. And uh, today is going to be focusing on the Red Wings and joining me to help break down their top 10 prospects. And then maybe a couple honorable mentions It is a good friend of the show, Mr. Victor Nuno. Victor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pete. Great to have, great to be on and really enjoy your show. So it's an honor to, to be here. The honor is mine, man. And I had the honor of being on, on your show uh, very recently, just about a week ago. Uh, we were talking all things prospects, guys uh, rising and falling. Um, so do me a favor. And if anyone listening to this show missed that one, uh, let them know where they can find it. Yeah, definitely. So Fantasy Hockey Life is our podcast. And we break down uh, different prospects, risers, and fallers during the season. and the offseason, we kind of go through each team and, and break down the whole team. So we had you on as one of our uh, scout experts, and we have uh, some more of those. We're also kind of doing an analytics series where we're going to bring on some of those guys, like the Evolving Hockey and Hockey Viz. Um, so that'll be fun as well. So Fantasy Hockey Life is where you can check that out. We kind of focus on Dynasty League. So if you're into that, then uh, you should probably be listening yeah, I'm sure most of the people that listen to this show uh, are familiar with it. So hopefully they have caught a few episodes or maybe if they haven't, they'll uh, they'll swing around and catch that. Um, if for anyone who doesn't know Victor, uh, Victor is also a writer for the Hockey Writers. Um, I had a brief tour of duty there as well myself. So uh, you can catch his coverings um, on San Jose Sharks there. And Victor, you do some stuff for Fantrax too. Uh, what exactly do you do for Fantrax? Because... We're uh, we're big fans of fan tracks on this podcast. Yeah, our our, our podcast is uh, is produced or pushed out and and sponsored by fan tracks. And Jesse does my co-host does some writing there. I do some uh, in season. I tend not to do as much, but I do uh, help with some of their rankings. So like we do the top top uh, forwards, D and goalies, and I always contribute to that. And then we always do a show where we kind of break down the different rankings and and stuff like that so uh every once in a while i will write for them but i'm usually so busy podcasting and writing for the hockey writers i tend not to contribute as much to fan tracks uh, hq writing all right and victor is obviously a well-versed uh fantasy hockey expert and uh and dives deep into uh, the prospects as well and let's talk about some detroit red wings prospects so before i jump into specific prospects i like to kind of do a little uh, overview of where the the organization is and I think it's pretty safe to say that under Iserman since he's come in the the team has been in a rebuild and uh, he's doing a really masterful job of restocking the cupboard I mean they had that very very long um, playoff streak I think it was like 25 years or something just bananas um, and so you know obviously they 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 stretch that out as long as they could. Um, and at the expense of, you know, holding on to veterans a little longer, um, maybe trading picks to help put, keep that playoff push uh, streak alive. Uh, so, you know, it's safe to say that hockey is a cyclical natured sport. You, uh, you go up, you come down and uh, the joint Red Wings sure did go down hard, um, but they're on the way back up now. I'm, really excited about their prospect pool for for Detroit Red Wings fans and in the last five years they've done an incredible job of acquiring draft picks they've had 52 picks in the last five years seven first rounds 10 seconds 11 thirds uh six in the fourth five fives eight in the sixth and six in the seventh round um so not only have they had an immense quantity of picks they've had an excellent quality of picks too. These aren't just, you know, heavily loaded in the back end of the draft. They've, they've picked early and often in the last five years, and they're starting to reap the benefits of that. Um, 
you know, they've got uh, a number of players who are 25 years and under on the roster already. Uh, I'm looking at Philip Zadina, Michael Rasmussen, Dylan Larkin, uh, Pew Suter, who they acquired by a trade, and Alex Nedeljkovic they acquired by a trade as well. Uh, Philip Ronick, and uh, of course, they've got their two Calder candidates on the roster this year, uh, who we'll talk about right off the top. Uh, so before we jump into those two guys, did you have any, any thoughts on how the rebuild's going? Well, I think that they did it right. That's, that's my thought is that they, they held on, as you said, they tried to do that, extend that streak and they did. And when it finally came to an end, they, they were smart about it. I think they tried not to, you know, just retool or you, know, you see some teams kind of like competitive rebuild and they, they try to kind of extend things on a little bit, but I think they, they, you know, kind of tore it down pretty well, got a lot of good assets and they picked really well. And so that leads you to where they are right now, which is more competitive than we all kind of imagined they would be. Of course, when you get some studs uh, that are overperforming or maybe performing as they should, you you kind of get some great production. But I think they did it right. And I think they there's the best is still yet to come. They have some really great uh, young prospects here. And so can't wait to talk about them because the future is bright in Detroit. That's for sure. Yeah, it is. So they've got quality at the top and quality at the bottom too. Their their depth of their prospects, um, I wouldn't say is second to none because Los Angeles can can probably lay claim to that title. But man, they're not far behind there in Detroit. And starting at the top, the top two prospects. I mean, I really, really, really struggled to rank first and second between the likes of Lucas Raymond and Maurice Sider. Um, quite frankly, I'm still undecided, but for the article, I had to choose one. I couldn't just split it. I suppose, well, that's my article. I can do whatever I want, but I didn't. <laughs> so I chose uh cider, uh, as my, my number one prospect for them. Now, arguably you could say both these guys have graduated, but I wrote this uh, a little bit earlier in the season. So, you know, they were, they were still eligible for, I think, consideration. Um, I mean, you could make an argument that, once they made the team, they weren't because they're never going back. They started the season just so well. Um, so I, I go one, two, Moritz Sider, and then Lucas Raymond. Um, I suppose, depending on if you're looking at fantasy, you might want to reverse that ranking. And then depending on your league's format, you might kind of lean one way or the other as well. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to hear what your take is on on how you would rank these two, Victor. Well, I, I was I, lo- I started looking at your list and I was thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm going to disagree with Peter a little bit because, you know, I looked at some of your other rankings and I like them. But sometimes there's always a guy here or there that I might, you know, move around. But I think you did it right. I mean, first of all, for the team, I think there's no question that a number one D stud is about the most valuable guy you can have as opposed to maybe a top line center. Right. So. I think no question from that perspective, most cider should be at the top, but I think also in fantasy, I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought that before this year. I mean, he has just been so impressive with his ability to step into the league and just, you know, frankly be fairly dominant considering his age and like where, you know, what he's done to this point, it's been really impressive. So I, I definitely have them in this position because you, you also think about like the fact that he has been this good and, you know, he is getting a pretty good amount of time on ice, but his peripherals are good. His, his shots are decent. And this is his first season in the NHL. It's his first 40 games. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine he's going to get worse. Right. So, you know, his 50 point pace is not buoyed by luck all of his metrics are pretty in line. Of course, we don't necessarily know what they should be, but it's not like his PDO is high. His shooting percentage is four. His IPP is in the fifties, which all of it seems pretty reasonable. And he's doing all this with a 43% ozone start. So when they get some guys that, you know, can help carry some of the load and maybe he can get slightly better to deployment and not have to play all the tough minutes. Cause his time on ice versus elite competition is, is near the top of the team. And that's rough, but he's, he's absolutely, you know, all of his metrics are nearly a standard deviation above what an NHL mean player should be goals for expected goals, goals against he he's fantastic. And and I have a ranking over at fantasy hockey life where I take into account peripheral shots and points upside. He's my number one D number one D prospect under hundred NHL games played ahead of Drysdale, Clark power, all those guys. So 
Yeah, I think he's going to be a top 10 D in just about any format for years to come. But in multi-category leagues, probably 0.5. I, I wasn't sure that the points would be there before this year, but I think he's shown that he can create even without the best opportunity. And I think his opportunity and his the surrounding cast is only going to get better. Yeah, I mean, see, sounds to me like you're saying that he passes the analytics test with flying colors. And I think he also passes the eye test with flying colors too, right? Like what would be your, if you could create out of clay, a perfect NHL modern day defenseman. I think he would have size about, you know, six foot four, 200 pounds, which is exactly what cider is. Uh, he'd have to skate like the wind. He'd have to have, um, great hockey IQ and sense and be able to read the game and, and process it at a high level, both offensively and defensively, you know, see plays developed that allow him to uh, cr- create transition and offense and run a power play, but also allow him to uh, eliminate lanes to the net passing lanes and force players wide, have good gap control. I mean, this guy does all those things really, really well. And he's only 20 years old and he's doing it as a rookie in the NHL. So yeah, I mean, for fantasy hockey, it's it's hard for me to rank defensemen over forwards, all things being equal, because forwards fantasy hockey is largely driven by offense, right? Um, goals and assists. And Lucas Raymond's gonna outscore Mo Sider every season. Um or most of the time, anyways, if he's healthy and all that. Uh just by the nature of of their their positions, right? Uh, Raymond will be an offensive player relied upon to, to carry the load offensively and, and Sider's a, a, a good two-way defenseman. But if your league has the peripherals, like you said, that's amazing. Or depending on the value of um, the depth in your league for defensemen, because there's only so many defensemen that, that score points, right? And if you're in a really deep league and all the counts for defensemen is points, then they kind of become a premium because when that well runs dry uh, sooner than later, and you haven't filled out your roster, you've got uh, roster spots that are basically dead weight, right? Like guys that just don't contribute offensively uh, while other people might have, um, you know, multiple defensemen that are contributing and you can get offensive forwards that can contribute later on through your draft. Right. So it's not like you're trading one for the other um, in that sense. So depending on the the size and the format of your league, um, I, I could definitely make an argument either way for either of these guys being ranked. But, you know, for the kind of leagues that you and I participate in, and, and I'd like to thank the majority of the listeners, uh, and then for NHL value straight up as well, uh, those are the reasons I think I went with Cider with a thin, thin edge at number one over Lucas Raymond at, at number two. Well, the just a quick, a counterpoint or aside to that is that if you think about value over replacement though, you know, how many 60 to 65 to 70 point forwards are out there versus how many 50 to 55 point D that also put up the kind of peripherals that Mo does. I mean, nearly two hits a game, nearly two blocks a game and, you know, a couple shots along with the 50 to 55 point pace, that is incredible value that is really hard to find. So I think if you're, if you're just looking at, yes, Lucas Raymond is going to outscore more cider most years, probably, unless there's some weird quirk or injury or whatever, but uh, in terms of point pace, probably, but just in terms of, you know, Raymond isn't bad at his peripherals i mean he's you know like half like over half hit per game a couple blocks here and there and and not that many shots same number of shots as cider so it's not like he's an elite you know peripherals monster and 60 to 60 to 65 to 70 point forwards you know don't necessarily grow on trees but there are a heck of a lot more of them than there are defensemen that that uh, fill out those categories like most. So I would say it's number one with the bullet for me. I think that, I think that cider is a little bit ahead just in terms of over replacement. But if you just look at the two individually and how great they are, yeah, it's kind of hard to say one versus the other. They're both so good. I'd be happy to own either one on my fantasy roster. So let's talk a little bit specifically about Raymond. Um, You know, I think he's, we're, we're, we're almost maybe underselling him by tooting the horn of cider so hard that he's, you know, this all round player and he has the peripheral stats and all that. 
And, you know, so Raymond's not going to produce those peripheral stats like that. You know, he's 5'10", 183. Um, so while he's, you know, an undersized winger, I would say he's already demonstrated that he's playing with um, adult man strength at the NHL at the age of 19. He's never going to be a banger. That's just not his game. But he does have a very high compete level. And he's very responsible defensively. So while he might not put up the peripheral stats that would maybe give him the edge in comparing these two, I think it's pretty safe to compare him to other players that the Red Wings fans would know, guys like Zetterberg and Hossa, who their NHL value, I think, in a way exceeds their fantasy value. Because while he could be a 60, 80 point player, um, you know, he's also a player you can put out to kill penalties and with, you know, the last minute of a period or a game have a one goal situation either way, you know, plus or plus or minus a goal, you're going to want this guy on the ice. Um, so he's got a lot of, lot of NHL value and, and very good fantasy value, but I think as, as good as his fantasy value is as a potential 60, 80 point player, his NHL values is, is even higher. Uh, is that something that you kind of see with Raymond as well? Yeah, he's he's a super smart player, and and you you watch him and you see the plays that he make, and that's what he always was kind of when he was you know in, in the junior levels in the SHL too, and sometimes the points were a little bit underwhelming, but you saw the playmaking, you saw the the positionally, um, and and yeah, he's he's been he's been good. Uh, I was I'm a little surprised that he did it as well as he did so far this season because I know the Red Wings like to marinate their prospects, and he had kind of an underwhelming SHL D plus one season. I mean, William Eklund outperformed him in the SHL, uh, and maybe that's more says more about Eklund than it does about Raymond. But I, I just didn't see a huge progression from Raymond in the SHL. So I thought, okay, he's going to come and you know dominate the AHL, and then and then you know be in the NHL next year. But he just was so good in training camp and preseason. And obviously, we know what he's done since then. So, yeah, it's been pretty impressive. Um, you know, it's funny, too, looking at hockey prospecting, he has, like, almost the exact same analytical profile as Scott Gomez, who, you know, had a had a pretty pretty good career and was pretty good early on for the Devils, right? I mean, kind of jumped in and was, like, you know, that 60, 70-point player right away. And I, I feel like that's something that Raymond could do, Um but he definitely has some defensive work to do. I, I I don't see him as like a bad defensive player, but like his expected goals against per 60 is really bad. Um, so he needs to kind of clean up some of that work probably. Um, but yeah, he's he's been really good. And, you know, he, he definitely um, is a guy who, you know, almost seems like he's arrived, right? And, and so, yeah, his peripherals may not be high, but he's someone who probably should be in that conversation for like a 60 70 point forward kind of moving forward and that's that's pretty valuable especially because he's done more with the goal scoring than he had previously and I kind of always thought of him as a strong play playmaking winger but his, he worked on his shot all offseason and it's it's been way more dangerous you know and he's got 11 goals so far in the NHL and that's you know that's pretty great he he has doubled up on his assists which is something you'd kind of expect from him but definitely more goals than than I would expect it at this point so that's been nice to see the dual threat you know you you, you can't just back off of him or he'll pick you apart but also you can't give him a clear shot because he'll he'll burn you so that's the kind of dual threat that you want to see yeah I mean he's right out of you know, not right out of his draft one year out, um, but bypassed the American Hockey League and went straight to the NHL upon coming to North America. And, you know, the first first couple, like 10 games of the season, he was a point a game player. Right now he stands at 32 points in 39 games. So he's, you know, he's 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 in that neighborhood of being a point a game player as as a rookie, which has become kind of rare these days. Um, so, yeah, I, I like his upside a lot as well. All right, so let's talk about the next guy. Let's move on uh, back to the blue line. Uh, I went number three with Simon Edvinson. Do you have any uh, any qualms with ranking him at, at number three? Nope, he definitely would be my number three. Right. So between, you know, their, their top pairing defenseman prospects, if you go Cider and Edvinson, um, there are not very many teams that have a prospect pairing that are in that age group or, or prospects that can compare to that. I mean, you've got uh, Buffalo maybe with, with power and, and Rasmus Dahlin. That's, that's very, very good. Uh, Colorado's got uh, Cal McCarr and Bowen Byram, um, you know, but Detroit's right up there with, 
I think what is the foundation to be an elite pairing defense partners uh, in the NHL starting in the very near future. Like uh, just waiting for Edmondson to get there, but Cider's already there. Yeah, I mean, you put Cider and Edmondson out there, and the ice is just going to tilt towards the other team. There's, there's no question that that's the, quite the luxury. You're absolutely right. Um, and yeah, he's he's a, he's definitely a guy that I have to eat a little crow on personally, just because I was a little hard on him in his draft season because a couple of times when I watched him, he made you know what I considered some some mistakes that he kind of did more than once and. Uh, I was really hard on sort of the hockey IQ, which is something that I value a lot. And we recently had a Swedish scout on our show, Jimmy Hamreen, who uh, writes for EP Ringside. And he explained that Edvinson was trying to expand his skill set and try some things that he hadn't done before. And that's maybe not the best thing to do in your draft season, but I guess other people saw it differently. And, uh, and anyways, he explained that and this season he's kind of simplified and not done so much of that. And of course he's looked amazing. And so that was his explanation, um, of why he's looked so good. So I kind of like that. Um, uh, uh, and I'm happy to, um, you know, to, to backtrack a little bit about that on that, but yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, in hindsight, a great pick, just how well he's looked this season and our brief window into the world juniors, he was just amazing. Um, so I hope we get to see another little bit of that, but absolutely. He he's also a guy who looks like he'll be in the cider mold in terms of the really good peripherals with some point scoring upside. Um, he's already kind of, uh, as an 18 year old rocking a 53% Fenwick uh, with over a hit and nearly a shot, uh, nearly a block a game and two shots. So that's amazing. He's going to probably fill categories for you. And again, like you said, if those two are your top pairing D yeah, that's going to be really good. They're Detroit's going to be a really good team when, when all these guys mature. Right. So he's six, five over 200 pounds. So he's, he's got good size and I, you know, Typically you hear, oh, he skates well for his size when you talk about big guys that size, which I always thought was just a nice way of saying he's average at best. Like, I don't care if you're if you're tall or short, you can either skate well average or or below average. Right. Like, I don't I don't see what the size has to do with it, other than you can make the argument that guys who have an explosive growth spurt who grow like, you know, multiple inches in a very short time need some time to adjust to the way their bodies change and it it can change the mechanics of your skating stride so i I get that a little bit but it doesn't really change the fact that you're a good skater or or a bad skater so but the thing about edmondson is his greatest asset is his skating and he's six five at 18 years old so um didn't have much of an adjustment period for him unless he was six five when he was like 12 um and his, I think his vision is, is, is very good. Uh, I think he reads the game and reacts very well. And he has the, the quick foot step, um, first step foot speed to, uh, to make adjustments, both in transitioning and rushing the puck up the ice, uh, and closing gaps defensively. So, yeah, I'm really excited for what these two can, can do together when the time comes that, uh, that they're, they're playing together, or you could go with the role of, uh, you know, one guy comes off, the other guy goes on kind of thing. Um, and just always have that presence on your, on the ice at the same time. Uh, so the next great guy I have, uh, is in goal. I went with Sebastian Cosa and this was interesting. You know, the whole draft year last year, everyone was talking about, uh, Jesper Wallstadt and how he was the, uh, the top ranked goalie and he's being mentioned in prospect circles and rankings in the same kind of breath as guys like um, Spencer Knight and um, uh, the Russian goalie whose name escapes me at the moment. Skarov. Yes. Askarov. Thanks. Uh, and then Sebastian Costa just kind of sneaks in the back door there and gets to be the top picked player. And it's not like he's coming out of nowhere. He's, you know, he's in Canada. He's playing in the WHL you know, pretty, uh, Edmonton Oilers Kings, pretty, uh, pretty common league there that a lot of scouts and prospect writers know about. So do you think that it's Kosa's stock that, uh, elevated in the draft year and he just surpassed Wallstat, or do you think Wallstat maybe, uh, kind of stumbled a little bit? Oh, I, 
personally, I was team Wallstead all the way. In fact, I wrote, uh, wrote about this over the hockey writers and I kind of wanted the sharks to pick him just because I feel like that would have filled the hole for years and years to come because I think he's really good. And I don't think Wallstead has done anything so far to, uh, you know, make Minnesota regret taking him. I mean, he, he was the, where he fell to was just criminal. I mean, to be able to get a player of that quality at 20th overall is just pretty silly, but I was, I was team Wallstead for a couple of reasons. One, one in that he was facing, you know, professional shooters at such a young age and doing really well. Um, and his, his expected goals above goal conceded were really high. That's something that's a stat that Instat has. And so that's, that's one thing is also very technical. So Kosa is, you know, a very different kind of goalie. He's very, very big. And also it's, it's a little bit tricky in that he plays for just a dominant WHL team, right? I mean, the old Kings are just, they've been so good and continue to be, and it's not like he's been bad when he's performed elsewhere, but it really just hasn't happened. Right. I mean, he hasn't had the opportunity to play in the world juniors or anything like that. So we haven't seen him elsewhere and he won't be able to face professional shooters even until next season, if he's in the AHL. So that's just something that kind of bugs me a little bit. And uh, I definitely am team Wilson. In fact, the hot take that I had in the draft year was that Ben Goudreau was closer to Costa than Costa was to Wallstead. That's my hot take for there. And we'll see how that works out. I do like Ben Goudreau. That was even before the Sharks took him. That had nothing to do with that. But I just think that Wallstead was the head of that class. And I was pretty shocked that Detroit moved up to take him. But I also feel like they probably know some stuff that I don't. And their picks have been working out for them. So I am sure it'll be fine. Especially, we just talked about this impressive decor. If Costa's in front of a really good defensive team, I, I think he'll be good enough to, you know, not you know, have to worry too much about making amazing saves. So I think he can probably perform in that situation, but he has a ways to go. You know, he's got to, he's got to face professional shooters at least for a year or two. And um, I, I think that he'll, he'll be fine, but I probably wouldn't have had him quite as high on the list just because he's a goalie and he's uh, he's a ways out. And I wasn't as high on him as some other people. Well, this isn't a very contrarian episode because I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. Um, I also really like Ben Goudreau. In fact, I traded up to get him in the second or third round of one of my uh, fantasy leagues too. Um, I think he's a little bit underrated. I think he slipped under the radar with the, the lack of OHL play last year. But back to Edmonton Oilers guys and Kosa. Yeah, a little bit of not a red flag, but a grain of salt, I would say, with his record last year, it was incredible, right? 17, one and one and a 157 goals against average. And the grain of salt there is the Edmonton Oilers Kings were a really, really good team. Um, short season, right? So, you know, 20 some games. Um, and they play it in a kind of a weak division. Um, so quality of competition in his division was uh, a little soft and he's playing against guys 19 and under. So when he gets thrown into a pro league, uh, and gets a, a large sample size with pro sized players um, and uh, at a better quality of competition. Uh, that'll be really interesting to see what happens to his stock at that point. And as well, you know, the Red Wings got Nadelkovich, who's who's not on this rankings, although I think technically he could be. Um, you know, he's eligible for the the Calder Trophy again this year. Um, so they can spend their time slow cooking Kosa and, you know, let him percolate in the, either in the coast or in the AHL for a couple of seasons until he's, until he's good and ready. Um, so hopefully everything pans out for him. If everything breaks, breaks well for him. I mean, he's six foot five, I think it is six foot six. So usually when goalies are that big, they tend to rely on being shot blockers and and playing the angles and, and filling the net. But he's also very athletic. So he's got that nice combination of being a good positional shot blocker that, you know, tracks plays nicely. He can see over defensemen if he needs to, um, has good rebound control. And on those occasions where he needs to be athletic to make a recovery or a second or third save, he's got that skill set too. So there's, there's quite a bit to like about him. Uh, moving on, we're getting to number five now. So to recap the top five, we went Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, Simon Edvinson, Sebastian Cosa, and number five, I've got Jonathan, uh, Berggren. How do you like him at number five? 
Yeah, it's definitely the next guy I would have had there. Um, don't worry, we, we we might disagree a little bit later, so but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love Berggren, and uh, I, I probably would have just put him above, above Kosa just because, like I said, goalies are are tough. Um, and and he's been fantastic, Berggren, since uh the since the Red Wings picked him second round pick in 2018. It's it's taken a while, but he really popped off in that COVID season 2020-21 for Shaleftia, 45 points in 49 games. And helped them all the way to the semifinal. They came up just a little bit short, short to Mo Sider's former team for Rogla. Um, but Bergeron was in the AHL this season. I thought that, you know, he might benefit from playing with Raymond. But, of course, Raymond being in the NHL, um, Bergeron had to do it a little bit more by himself. But 21 points in 27 AHL games suggests he's kind of, you know, moved to North America just fine. And he's he's really good offensively. He's got really good tools. His hockey IQ is off the charts. He knows where to be to get open. He can accept passes really well. His shot is good. Um, all of those tools are really good. The thing that really worries me a little bit is that defensively, um, he's not necessarily bad, but he can be a little bit of a giveaway turnover machine that can feed the other team. So, you know, when he's on a team that isn't as good, then uh, or doesn't play with pretty good defensive players, then it it can be a bit of an issue. But um, the comp that I really like for him is Andreas Janssen. He looks a lot like him in the hockey prospecting model. And I I think that's a good, uh, good comp too, because Janssen is kind of a black hole defensively, not very good, but if you put him with a good defensive player, he, he can be a really good offensive player. And we've seen that throughout his career a couple of times here and there. Um, And so I think Bergen could be like that, especially if he gets to play with a really strong playmaker, like, like Raymond or, or a good, you know, uh, center like Larkin. Uh, I think that he can clean up a lot of those, uh, you know, issues that he has there. So, yeah, I really like Berger and I, I feel like he's, you know, going to be a, a pretty decent complimentary player. Certainly doesn't have like the upside, I think, of, of a Raymond offensively. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely a guy that, that should be part of this team moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he had a breakout season over in the SHL, and now he's come over to North America and, and really just hit the ground running, right? Like, just uh, not having uh, any hiccups in his game at all. Uh, as you mentioned, his uh, point totals this season are very impressive. Uh, eight goals, 23 points, um, about 0.8 points per game as a rookie. That's just fine with me. Um, so, yeah, I think he gives them a lot of good offensive uh, depth and insulation at forward. And he's not very far away from being NHL ready by all accounts. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges the Red Wings might have will be fitting them in into the roster and what kind of uh, roster spot they can, they can give them. They've got uh, <clears throat> Vladimir and Mestikov is, is expiring. Sam Gagne is expiring. Uh, so those are two players that, uh, you know, are, you know, around their thirties that will probably not be invited back. Um, other than that, that's pretty much the only expiring contracts they have. Uh, so if they can fit him into a top six by losing one of those guys, then that might be the way to go. Um, slipping down the list here. I have number five. Uh, now some people might think this is high and some people might think this is low, but I went with Joe Valeno at number six so everyone's pretty familiar with the file exceptional status in the queue lots of hype about him high draft pick uh looked really good for team canada at the world juniors um and has been good in the american hockey league when he's played there and just not really finding his his groove at the NHL level at this stage in his career. So some people might be thinking, ah, he's a bust. He was a waste picking him where they did. And other people will be like, no, no, he's just fine. He's, you know, sure. He's only got, you know, like four or five points this season in 23 games, but you know, he's uh, don't expect him to be a superstar player, but he is a very valuable player. He's a, he's a good two way center um that can provide offense uh, and can also play a good shutdown role that's i think what they asked him to work at at the american hockey league level because you know he established his offense in the queue no question there and with team canada he showed he can be a valuable offensive contributor um that's not translating to the nhl he but he did learn and evolved his game maybe rediscovered himself as a two-way player in the american hockey league and i think that is going to 
Um, that's going to make him an NHL regular for, I think, a long time. Just maybe not an offensive superstar, but a very good third-line center. That's sort of my take on Valeno. Where do you come in with him, and would you have him ranked higher or lower than where I have him at six? Yeah, this is where we get to disagree. Nice. <laughs> Which is always nice. fun. Yeah, I, I would have left him off my list completely, frankly. Um, wow. And maybe that's a bit of a hot take. But, yeah, I think uh, I think we can agree that he – is not the offensive dynamo that we thought at one point he could be right. I mean, I don't think it was a mistake necessarily to take him where he was. I mean, he was great. He was great for Canada, helped them win gold. He was, you know, good in, in the queue. I guess some people will say like, Oh, but the queue is always a high scoring league. Okay. But still like he, I don't think that was necessarily a mistake in that draft. Uh, in hindsight, of course, maybe doesn't look as good and you can point to other guys that he maybe should have been taken. But the reality is, as you said, the progression has been has been a bit troubling. I don't know that he's learned how to play defense in the AHL. I mean, his Fenwick is forty seven percent in the AHL um, this season. Uh, I guess that's a smaller sample size. It was a little bit better last season, so he's he's kind of gotten a little bit better uh, in the AHL in terms of that. So, yeah, and 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 certainly he doesn't have a huge sample size of NHL games. Total, he has 28. In that time, though, he's been pretty average or below average defensively, and he's pretty much a black hole offensively. So the guy that we thought could provide some offense hasn't really. I mean, his expected goals are three standard deviations below the mean. That's really bad, um, you know, for generating offense. So I think at this point, if he could be a bottom six center um, that maybe contributes a little bit of offense. And maybe if you put him against a little worse quality of competition that he could stick in the lineup, that would be a win for the Red Wings. Um, I, I, for fantasy though, I don't, I personally would sell all shares of Joy Valeno if I could. Um, and I had previously and I sold them and I'm thankful for that. Cause I just don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's super valuable. I mean, you look at his, uh, his comps, you know, evolving hockey does these comps and hockey prospecting. He looks like a guy somewhere between Lou Coonan and Colin white. And think about if you want those guys, um, not really. I mean, they don't really provide much, maybe some bangs. I don't think he's going to provide as many bangs as Lou Coonan. So, you know, I don't know that, uh, He's he's going to be a super valuable guy. He's probably better than a 15-point pace guy, which is what he's been in his NHL career. Of course, like I said, small sample size. But I don't know that he's ever going to be above like a 35-point pace guy. And so, yeah, unless it's like a super deep dynasty where you just want guys that are playing games, then I don't know that he's someone that's valuable. Which for me, you know, when I'm doing these rankings, if I feel like a guy has kind of shown like he's not going to have that upside, we talk about this funnel theory that uh, Jesse came up with you know early on in their career guys have a wide range of outcomes and as they get closer and closer to the nhl their range of outcomes narrows right you go down the funnel and joe valeno has sort of a narrow um, range of outcomes at this point which i think is bottom six center third or fourth line and that's only if he can get much better defensively and that doesn't really scream someone that you want in fantasy so i'm that's why i would just leave him off the list entirely I did sell my stock uh, in Joe Valeno in my fantasy league that I owned him in as well. So, you know, I guess, uh, I guess I kind of agree with you with a lot of what you're saying there, but um, you know, and his, his draft stock and his, he was kind of a little bit like um, Atu Radi where his, his draft stock a year or two before his draft was, was super high. He was projected as a, a top prospect for the draft. And then he ended up getting picked 30th overall. So just squeaked in to the first round. Uh, so still ended up being a first round pick. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that he maybe could have slid a little further down. Uh, and that might've kept his, his value in perspective for where he's at now, but he's, he's certainly not trending in the right direction. Uh, it started just before his draft and it has continued on through. Uh, I still think that he has an opportunity to play in the NHL and be a valuable NHL player. But as far as his fantasy value goes, I, I would agree he's, he's going to be good for um, face-off wins. If he plays a center. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Number six. Uh, number six, I went uh, back to uh, the wing and forward uh, with uh, Theo Niederbach, 5'11", Swedish uh, winger, uh, 19 years old, drafted in the second round of the 2020 draft. 
uh, over in the SHL this year for a second or third season that he's at now. He's got seven points in 31 games, so he's not scoring at a prolific rate there. Um, he did look good for Sweden at the World Juniors, though. In the two games, he had two goals. That's pretty impressive. Uh, so what's your what's your take on Niederbach? Yeah, he's an interesting player. Finally playing full-time in the SHL, as you mentioned. After last season, he was split between all three levels there, Svenskin, J20, and SHL. Seven points in 31 games isn't great for the almost 20-year-old, but he's getting under 10 minutes uh, a night. And, you know, for Lunda being such a quality organization there and being such a good team, they, they don't necessarily give their young guys a lot of opportunity. But it is great to see that he's driving play 52% Fenwick when he's out there for that under 10 minutes. Um, doesn't shoot a lot, but again, his role isn't isn't great. He um, He's not, he's kind of trending down in terms of like his uh, points upside, but again, it may not be the opportunity. So he's kind of looking more like an average or replacement level producer. But again, I think that a, a renaissance like Berggren showed is not out of the question. Like if he, if he gets more opportunity next season, like he could really pop off in his D plus three season. So I think that that still is possible. I'm not, I'm not to the point where I am with Valeno, like, you know, pack it in. He's probably not going to do much. I think that the stock is definitely down on Theodore Niedebach, but I think that he, he certainly could turn it around and be uh, still a pretty decent complimentary player so we'll see next season is going to be a big one i'm not sure how much we can expect uh from the teddy wing niederbach but uh maybe he uh he pulls it out and is uh is someone who is uh is someone who can actually contribute to the team but uh i wouldn't i wouldn't hold out a huge amount of hope for him you think i have him ranked a little high yeah maybe that i think your next guy we'll talk about i i probably would have moved him up all right yeah so what i like about niederbach my my optimism for him holds on that uh you know he's he's 5'11 172 so he's a little physically underdeveloped at this stage uh if he can add some bulk and and strengthen up a little bit i think you might see the offense that he showed at the junior level catch up with him at the pro level so we'll wait and see if that comes to fruition or not uh next i go back to the blue line another defenseman in the red wing system man their defense is deep uh six foot 168 albert johansson playing in the shl uh another fleet-footed defenseman he skates really really well starting to show some offensive chops as well as he develops um covers a lot of ice very good at transition joining the rush leading the rush um, the offensive side of his game is, is still coming along, um, but, you know, he's, he, he's got that element to his game. I don't think he'll be a power play specialist necessarily at the NHL level, um, but, and he's not, you know, very physically intimidating either, but uh, the way he skates and reads the game, is, I think is going to serve him very well in the NHL and make him a very good middle six kind of defender. Uh, so you, you like where I have him here or maybe a little higher? I probably would have moved him all the way up to five, frankly. I would have moved him up quite a bit. Uh, I really like Albert Johansson. And part of, you know, part of it's hard when you, when you have Mo Sider and Simon Edmondson in your prospect pool, it's kind of hard to give airtime to Johansson, but he's just been really good. He's probably a bit underrated. Um, There really just aren't a lot of weaknesses in his game. As you mentioned, he's, he's such a pain in the butt to play against. He's, he's tenacious, he's aggressive, but he's, you know, such a good skater that he recovers well, good at denying entries. Um, He kind of reminds me uh, of a shark player, Mario Ferraro, you know, just like so active and so, um, you know, tenacious and aggressive. Um, he, he, he's kind of projecting to be sort of an average point producer in the NHL, but he's got solid perifs. And as you mentioned, probably a middle pairing guy. So that's good. Or, you know, if he ends up, if they end up splitting up cider and Edmondson, then he'll get to play with one of those two. That could be really good. Um, and yeah, I would have had him a little higher on this list, but you know, he's not going to pass uh, Edmondson or cider. Um, but he might end up having similar peripherals to those guys. And, uh, you know, I mentioned my ranking list earlier. He's 44, 44th D on my list. So he's pretty high. I mean, they, these Red Wings have a lot of guys on, on the list. They're, uh, they're doing pretty well. So I think, you know, in terms of like value, um, Johansson probably is someone that you might be able to acquire at a little bit lower cost and could be you know, like not too far off from someone like Edvinson. So that might be a good, you know, strategy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, guess what? The next guy on the list is another defenseman. 
<laughs> they are <laughs> loaded at D. So quick recap here, just to kind of go back a little bit. We started with D with uh, Mo Sider. Then we went Lucas Raymond, Simon Edmondson, defenseman, Sebastian Cosa, goalie, Jonathan Bergen, a, a winger, Joe Valeno, a center, Theo Niederbach, uh, forward, and then defenseman Albert Johansson. And now another defenseman, William Wallander. So he's a 2022nd round uh, pick, 32nd overall. Again, another really big defenseman, six foot four, uh, 190. And he's starting to show some offensive chops as well. Uh, his offense in the SHL is coming along. He's got four goals and 12 assists in 27 games with a Rogel. So that's not bad for a defenseman playing in that league at that age. That's actually quite impressive. Um, what's your, uh, what's your take on, on this tall defenseman? Yeah, they have such a, such a good collection of them. Well, this is a guy actually who I had on my Dungeons and Dragons list, my do not draft list, Uh um, during that draft. And, and, you know, as, as you sort of profiled has all of the physical tools, right? I mean, he's someone who projects to be an NHL defender. He's got the size, the physicality, skates well, um, and that's like catnip to NHL GM. The, the problem I think is his hockey IQ. And I, and I think that, um, I sort of said the same thing about Evanson, but he showed a dramatic improvement and maybe some of that was miscast in his draft year, but Wallander has really not shown a tremendous improvement in that area. So that's something I worry about. I, I actually, during the 2020 draft, uh, talk, I called him the, uh, Swedish, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, which, you know, you can look at Ristolainen and say, whatever he's still an NHL defenseman he still gets bangs and he's still valuable in fantasy maybe his decision making isn't great but he's still out there because of all of his physical tools um, so that may be what Wallander does and you're going to need someone tough in front of the net to be physical and, and maybe he does that as like a third pairing guy and I, that wouldn't be fine but but maybe he also ends up as a seventh or eighth defender because he just can't figure out some of the defensive reads I don't know um, his, uh, but even his peripherals aren't amazing. So that's something that, you know, in fantasy should worry GMs a little bit and his Fenwick in the SHL is only 45%. So not a great play driver. Rogla is a great team and he's not, uh, doing so well as his expected goals is also not so good. So I don't have any shares of William Wallinder, but if I did, I would probably sell them maybe to you. Yeah, I'd be interested. Uh, his, um, his play has improved since he, he's moved from uh, from Moto over to Rogel. So there is that. Um, I think he's he's trending in in the right direction for me. But there, are, like you said, his his decision making is making him a bit of a a red flag kind of player. Um, and those those are sort of inherent flaws. You know, you look at Sean Day. Sean Day might be a good example. He's a big mobile. Uh, defenseman as well that has shown he can provide some some offensive flash and panache uh, but his decision making is just so flawed um, that I, he's never gonna I don't think he'll make it to the NHL he might get a couple cups of coffee um, maybe play close to a season or something like that in total but um, so hopefully Will Under doesn't fall into the the same bust kind of category um you know i have him ranked ninth so he barely cracks the top 10 uh but like i said it's a pretty deep stacked roster of prospects so you know we'll, we'll move on a little bit here and we'll talk about some other guys and you, know, you might convince me that i have him ranked a little high you can probably make a good argument that this guy's a little high too number 10 jared mckisaac he's now 21 years old and he was a second round pick by the red wings back in in 2018 uh, and he had a really, really, really good uh, junior career playing in in the queue um, with Halifax. Uh, one gold with Canada um, at the Halinka and again at the World Junior Championship. Not so much an offensive defenseman. He's got a little bit of that to his game, but he's certainly more uh, defensive and physical. Uh, good kind of two-way defenseman skates pretty well and he's got decent size six feet uh, 190 um you can just make the argument that he's he's not progressed enough to maintain the prospect status that he had uh when he was in the queue uh would this guy make your top 10 do i have him a little high probably yeah 
well, those are two different answers there. Probably high for me, uh, but wouldn't make my top 10. But I understand why you have him there. Uh, he has lost so much development time, and that is difficult. So I could the, obviously could go two different ways. Like he just never recovers from that, and he's just, you know, never really puts it all together in the NHL which I would say is probably the more likely outcome, but also he could, you know, take some time and figure it out and and become the player that uh, he always could be. I think if that happens though, he's probably not more than a good two way third pairing guy. Um, So I don't know that the upside is huge in terms of fantasy, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely a guy who's worth like mentioning, but I, yeah, I just don't know that, that the upside is huge and I hope for his sake and the Red Wings sake that it, that it works out. Um, I just, I wouldn't have a whole lot of stock in him. No, but I think if he does, if he does make the NHL, he would have a little bit more value in, in the, the, the leagues that have multi categories. Cause I think he'll, he'll be a block and hit machine and the occasional, you know, a little bit of offense, um, but probably not, not playing enough, enough minutes to really make them worthwhile uh unless you know you've got minor eligibility where you can move guys up and down from your prospect roster to your to your active roster while he maintains minor eligibility there might be some value there because you can stream him in and out of your roster and and when injuries kind of come around he might be something when you can pull up kind of thing but other than that yeah um Okay, so that's the top 10. Uh, just a quick repack, a recap again. We go Cider Raymond, 1-2, Simon Edmondson, Sebastian Cosa, Jonathan Bergen, Joe Valeno, Theo Niederbach, Albert Johansson, William Wallander, and Jared McIsaac. That is my top 10 rankings. So you said you had a couple guys that wouldn't have cracked this roster. I think you said that about mm, two or three. Um, so who would be one or two players that, you know, in the honorable mentions category that you would have moved up into your top 10 that I kind of snubbed a little. Yeah. Well, I could see why maybe you left a couple of these guys off, but I think it's worth mentioning Alex Cotton and Red Savage. And the reason is Alex Cotton is a guy who has an outstanding offensive toolkit. I understand the skating is definitely a bit of an issue for him, but He's been fantastic in the WHL. He's a defenseman, by the way, if I didn't say that. Uh, and he's been over a point per, he was over a point per game for Lethbridge in 2020, 2021. And he's been uh, just under a point per game. He got traded to the Vancouver Giants after eight games and he's just been great. So, I mean, he knows how to run a power play. He can score at even strength. Um, and yes, maybe he's got some issues, uh, you know, uh, defensively and skating, but he's a guy who statistically profiles like Chris Letang and he's got some other good comps like Brent Seabrook, Thomas Shabbat. So he, he's, he's a guy that if he hits, he could be really good. So it's probably worth like having a share of him because also you'll probably know pretty soon with another year or two, whether he just can't hack it. And, uh, in the AHL. So we'll, we'll find out, but Alex Cotton is someone I think is worth, looking into and then the other guy is red savage who <clears throat> was an absolute steal in the fourth round for, i think for the red wings i mean they just they draft so well um and he's a guy who jumped from the usntdp so ushl level to ncaa and so his, his points has taken a, a bit of a, of a hit this season but he's still been good 12 points in 21 games for miami university of ohio who is not a great ncaa team uh, not a powerhouse anyways and he's he's been good. And so he's a guy who, if he makes it, he's going to be a peripherals monster because he's already pretty much a hit and a block per game in the NCAA. Even though he doesn't shoot a whole lot, he's going to get out there and just uh, rack up hits and 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 possibly pims. He's <laughs> notably took a, a got a misconduct in the just one of the two world junior games that USA played. So, you know, he's definitely has some have grit to him and he's the guy that I could see making it just for that, uh, that role. And, and if he has more offense that it seems like he might, then, you know, maybe he could contribute some points too. So red savage is a guy who I think, you know, might surprise and it's, it's worth kind of holding on to that lottery ticket also, especially because he was a fourth rounder, he might not be rostered in your league. So it's probably worth, going to check and maybe you can fit him in on your dynasty team all right so those are two names that didn't make my honorable mention so i'm really glad you brought those up because you know uh i like learning about players that i maybe need to pay more attention to and you bet i'm gonna look up red savage in my fantasy league 
Um, one of the couple of the players I had on my honorable mentions, uh, I had Robert Master Simone. I like him. I've seen him play a couple of times watching some Boston Terrier games. He's a highly skilled player. I, I'm not really sure why his offense isn't translating more consistently at the NCAA level. It's starting to pick up a little bit this year, but you know, he's, I think he's 21 years old now, uh, 2021, whatever it is. Um, but he's a highly skilled player. He does like, you know, he's got quick hands. He does the toe drags and all that stuff. Uh, but his career stats at the NCAA, he's got long stretches of, of, of not producing. Um, so, so far this year, He's got uh, 15 points through 21 games, which is you know, 0.71 points per game, which is good, but not great. He's a second round pick. So I'm kind of trying to decide if this is a player who I think can find a way to put it all together and is worth holding on to in deep, deep leagues with a lot of prospects. Or is this someone who, you know, at this stage in his career, it, it's time to it's time to look elsewhere uh, at other prospects who have more uh, potential and upside. He's, he's only 20 years old now, but you know, last year he had eight points in 15 games, and the year before that, his freshman season, he had 17 and 34. So he's about a half a point a game player uh, up until now, where he's he's starting to get a little bit better. Do you have a take on Simone? If I had him, I would I would not. I would dump him from my team. I mean, the, the thing is that he, yeah, I mean, I always hate saying what seems like negative things about these guys because I want everyone to be successful. But I just don't think that as a junior, you know, who's someone who didn't score a ton uh, and had his first two seasons in the USHL, I mean, I just don't know that there's enough offense to to be a big-time contributor. Um, so, like, if he makes it, he might be, like, a bottom six, you know, contribute 20, 30 points kind of thing. Um so I just I just don't see him having a huge impact. That's uh, Master Simeone. I, that, I yeah I don't see it happening. But uh, you know we'll see. I but I would I would sell on each. I would dump him if I had him. Fair enough. Uh, now another player that some people might have caught wind of uh, at the World Juniors uh, recently, uh, not this one but the one before, Elmer Soderblom. Uh, he's a really big hulking forward, Swedish born, and he is six foot eight 202 pounds and uh, at the world juniors last year he had three points in five games um but what really stood out for me there was his his net front presence was excellent and not only was he using his ginormous frame to cause all kinds of traffic problems in front of the net on the power play he also showed he's got some pretty silky mitts for a guy that size he scored a between the legs goal uh, in front of the net. So I'm kind of keeping him on, on my radar, uh, playing full-time in the SHL this season. He's got 11 goals and 16 points through 31 games. So twice as many goals as assists, which is interesting. Uh, what's your take on big Soderblom? My take was the same as yours that, you know, obviously he's noticeable cause he's huge and you think he could use that to his advantage and he and he does i mean he could be a little bit more physical than he is cuz you know he is so big yeah but his hands man for a guy that big and he can skate well i know you hate that oh he's big he can skate well though but he can skate pretty well <laughs> uh but his hand like he had really soft touch around the net and the through the legs goal and some nice deflections yeah i mean he doesn't have like the huge statistical profile in terms of like putting up points early on that that makes me think he could be a huge contributor but guys who are six eight who can skate and have good hands are gonna get opportunity right we're not talking about a five foot eight here guy we're talking about a six foot eight guy and i think he just gets the opportunity and he turns in to anything close to the next holmstrom well then you know things are going to be just great for him so I could see him making it just for that role because, I mean, that's really valuable, right? To be able to plop him in front of the net and, you know, clean up some rebounds and, and deflect and screen the goalie. So, yeah, absolutely. Elmer Soderblom is, is someone who I think is interesting. And interesting side note, he is, uh, his brother is Arvid Soderblom, who is a goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks, who's in their uh, development system, Rockford Icehawks, and he's pretty decent. So that's kind of fun. Right on. Yeah, I'm certainly going to keep an eye on him. I can't wait to see what he does when he comes to North America. That could move the needle pretty quickly in one direction or another, depending on on how he transitions over here. Uh, I'd like to think that because he's so big, the smaller ice surface would uh, 
would benefit him because, you know, he can just create his own space just by being big and strong. Uh, one last player on the list I want to talk about, a uh, player who I own in a couple of my leagues. Uh, so I'm a little bit personally invested in him. So I'm always curious to get other people's takes on him. That's Taro Hirose. So uh, Michigan State University alumni played a couple of years there. Very, very good. Signed as a free agent, undrafted. So he is now 25 years old, right? Like he is what he is. He's not going to develop anymore. And it doesn't look like he's got the uh, the NHL chops. His NHL career is 43 games, 13 points, three goals, 13 assists. But at the, the when he signed his contract, he played the final 10 2019 games with the Red Wings and he had seven points in 10 games. So, you know, I was very keen on him. He was one of the hottest sought after NCAA free agents that season. Uh, signed with the Wings. I figured great rebuilding team, lots of opportunity for a prospect there. Um, then he hit the ground running at the NHL with seven points in 10 games. My enthusiasm went through the roof, albeit that's a small sample size at the end of the season. Then the following season, he played the majority in the NCAA. Uh, 27 and 35 last year, again, 29 games in the American hockey league, 28 points this year, 30 games in the American hockey league, 27 points. So he's a point a game player consistently in the American hockey league, um, but just not able to produce it at the NHL level. Um, I think his skating might be uh, a concern there. Um, I'm not sure if you have much of a, a tape on Taro Hirose, but I'd be really interested to see what your take is on him. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of laid out the evidence there. He think he's a tweener, you know, he's yeah. a guy who's really, he's good in the NCAA. He's good in the AHL. Just, I don't know that he can hack it in the, in the NHL. 43 games is not a huge sample size, but what we have seen um, shows that pretty much all of his metrics are below what an average NHLer should be defensively, offensively expected goals, Corsi, all that's not great. So what does he do? What does he bring to the table? I, you know, he's not great defensively, not even good defensively. He's not great offensively. I don't know why he, you know, the the Red Wings would keep giving him chances. So feel bad saying that, but I just, if I could give you permission to drop him, I would Peter. <laughs> I think you can give me that. That, that blessing if, if, that, if you so choose I think that's something you can get away with well this is his last season he'll be a restricted free agent after this season and based on the the depth of their prospect pool I think they might um they might let let him walk as a as a free agent and just open up that contract spot for uh some of the younger players and you know he's he's obviously a prolific score at the American hockey league. So he's, he's gobbling up prime minutes in grand Rapids. And if you don't think that he has an NHL future, then you know that your, your American hockey league is it's development team. It's for developing young players. Um, so it might, might be time for the Red Wings to, to part ways. Maybe an opportunity in another organization uh, would be what he needs, but if you can't crack the Red Wings roster, then, I'm not sure there's an NHL roster that he can crack. Um, any other uh, last minute players you want to just kind of slip in under the radar there just before I wrap this episode up? Um, well, I think that there's a really interesting Russian player uh, named Kirill Tutayev, uh, which you probably would never guess how to spell unless I told your listeners. So it's T-Y-U-T-Y-A-Y-E-V. It doesn't sound like how it's spelled, but it's Tutayev. And he's a really small, undersized Russian. He's five foot eight, and uh, or five nine, I guess. And he's a seventh round pick, and so you never expect too much out of those guys. But he is highly, highly skilled, very creative with the puck, and someone who could, you know, offensively, uh, you know, put up points. And so that's exciting. He came to their camp and was impressive. And uh, I, I almost thought like, wow, he might even make the team. But no, he's in Grand Rapids, three points in nine games. He's adjusting to North America. So, you know, it might take some time if he even makes it. But, you know, guy was uh, found money in the seventh round. So, you know, he's just a guy that, you know, maybe if he could, if he could put things together um, is interesting. And then I just also think the goalies are worth mentioning, you know, Jan Bednar and Victor Bratstrom, who are both transitioning to North America 
And uh, that transition can be tough. I still think it's Kosa. I still think you're right to put Kosa up there because it's it's probably his team down the road to to lose. But uh, you never know with goalies. So if it's not Kosa, it might be Bednar or Bratstrom. Uh, or it might just be Nadelkovich for a decade. So you never know. But yeah, those guys are probably worth uh, just kind of mentioning briefly. Yeah, well, that's like, I don't know, the top 17. And there's still some other players um, that we haven't mentioned that I think would would have been worth mentioning. Uh, Anti Thomas, uh, Tomasito, Shai Bum, Donovan Sobrango, who's, you know, playing in the American Hockey League and, and made the Canadian World Junior roster as well. Uh, would have liked to have seen Sobrango. He's a Kingston boy as well. So, uh, you know, a little bit near and dear to, to me that way. Um, so like I said, right off the top, this is a, a prospect organization pool that is very deep, uh, both in quality and quantity of players. And the challenge they're going to have in a few years is, is where do they, how can you fit all of these guys onto a 25 man roster? You can't. So some of them are going to flame out and solve that little problem. And they'll have to, uh, they might have to move a couple of these guys, uh, package some up. Uh, we've seen teams do that before. Carolina did it recently. They, they traded off a, a couple of their prospects just because they had too many. I think you might see LA do something like that. The Los Angeles Kings have a deep pool and it might be time for them to try and maybe package a couple of them together and, and maybe a pick and land a guy like, uh, Jacob Chikrin or, or something like that that can, that's young and not a, not a aging out veteran is still in his prime, but uh, can help them speed up their, their rebuild and give them a, a quality piece right away. I think the Red Wings might be able to try and pull something off like that in a, in a little bit of time. Once, once some of these guys ripen up a little bit. All right. So that's going to put a wrap on episode uh, 113. Uh, I want to really thank my guest, Victor Nuno uh, for coming on and, and bringing some, and really bringing the heat on this episode. Um, that's some really great information you had there, Victor. You've obviously did your homework for this episode. I really appreciate that. Um, listeners, give him a follow on Twitter at uh, Victor Nuno 12 V I C T O R N U N O 12. That's your Twitter handle, right? I got that correct. Yes, sir. All right. Listen and subscribe to his podcast at fantasy, uh, fan hockey life, fantasy hockey life. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at fan hockey life, uh, catches his ramblings and writings at the hockey writers covering the San Jose sharks. And, uh, you know, I get, I get great guests on this podcast and I'm really, really grateful for that. And thanks Victor for, uh, for, for bringing the goods today. Uh, I really enjoyed this chat and I hope everyone enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Peter. It was really a lot of fun. So I hope the listeners enjoyed it too. Right on. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode. Uh, I got an episode recording tomorrow night for the Edmonton Oilers. So we're going to have some uh, some rapid fire DPR after uh, a month off with uh, Christmas holidays and, and life getting in the way of, of me finding time for a podcast. But uh, I'm still at it. So we'll uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.